week's episode, we're chatting about our picks from New Comic Book Day, why the Venom movie has done so dang well, and our favorite comic book families. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome to Cover B. My name is T. I am here with Chris. Hello. It is, for us, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. You guys are hearing us the Friday after Thanksgiving. Deep. Deep in food comas. <laughs> Hopefully you ate gloriously and got everything done from your Black Friday shopping that you were hoping to, and you didn't end up with a black eye. That's my hope for you. <laughs> so, hey man, Black Friday shopping is for real. That is scary business. You have to be brave. I do everything on Amazon now. I'm scared. Yeah, and even then, people still run in and punch you in the eye. Well, yeah. I mean, I tell you to lock the door, but... Well, I'm a trusting person, Chris. It's not my fault. Karen from North Dakota is like, You got the last set of plastic Tupperware. She just clocks you in the face. And I don't have enough makeup to cover it. Just cleans your clock right there. Just right in the face. I really, you know, this is why I need a guard dog and not cats. It's hard out there. It's hard out there. It's hard out there for a tea. For a tea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We are going to jump right in. We are super excited to be back. We apparently did okay enough on this first round to try again. So that's something. (laughs) Keyword try. Hey, it's all about the effort, man. That's all we can do. So we're going to start right back in with our comic picks for the week. Chris, what did you read this week that you were feeling? This week I checked out Lucifer number two. The first one was good and, you know, compelled me enough to continue it. And I really like where the new run of Lucifer's going. It's telling, like, multiple stories at once. So you have three stories. You've got, like, Detective Decker, and you have Lucifer in this weird purgatory-ish, limbo-ish, hellish kind of village, and he's super out of his mind, and bad stuff just keeps happening to him. And then you have what I'm assuming is like a prequel, like a, a you know flashback of Lucifer talking to Caliban. I like that all the stories kind of happen and interject in and out of each other, and the narration kind of pops in and out. I'm excited to see where those connect. And it's just a really, it's a really oddball kind of a abstract title. Um, and I think that's really good for what DC's currently trying to do with the whole, like, Sandman relaunch. Yeah. And keeping things, like, really abstract and dreamlike. Um, so I'm excited. Um, Dan Waters is writing that one. Really, really good stuff. Uh, I'm excited to see where the story kind of reconnects. I love when you've got multiple, like, narrations going on at once. Yeah, when it's layered. It kind of helps. I feel like it keeps a book from getting stale. Because I feel like that's one of the reasons why books end up, you know, getting cut off at issue 7, issue 8, before they're necessarily ready to go. Because it just sort of slows down momentum. But if you have three different opportunities to keep that momentum... You're in better shape. True, yeah, and it you know it compels the reader to wait and see how everything plays in together. Yeah, you know, as opposed to just point A to point B, bad guy comes up, good guy overcomes bad guy, and then next bad guy, like a lot of you know stories tend to be. Um, so it's cool. I'm excited to see where that goes. Nice. Well, still within the same vein of the DC universe, I this week picked up cover number three, the Bendis Jinx World title. That book is bananas. <laughs> it is the most self-referential, ridiculous, amazing thing. I It's about like a uh, like a comic artist. Yeah. Gets so, drafted by the CIA or yeah, something. Yeah. So there's he's not even like supposed to be a highbrow comic artist. He's just like he had like a one hit wonder type situation mm-hmm. and but he was low key enough for the CIA to think that he would be impressionable, but he's popular enough that if he gets invited to a bunch of cons all over the globe, it's not too weird. But this week was super weird because, so they created a character based on a real life artist (laughs) 
who is apparently, like, the nicest guy in the world. And they made him into a, like, spy for an entirely other government. And then they had a multi-page panel inside done of his art, but the artist wasn't actually allowed to work for DC. So instead they got Bill Sinkovics to do it. <laughs> so there's this, like, four-page spread of Bill Sinkovics being, like, crazy and just, like, going all over it. It's it's amazing. And then there's this other entire conversation where he goes on a blind date and she keeps talking smack about how cosplayers don't make any sense and they're all weirdos and why would you dress up like a comic book character? And he goes on this rampage about how it's actually amazing and comic book lovers are doing it because they love the art and they relate to the character and it means a lot to them. She looks at him and basically is like, well, actually... They were just weirdos and adults in costumes, and I don't understand. And so he basically breaks off the date because she just doesn't get it. It's it's incredibly self-referential, mm-hmm. and I, I really enjoy it. And as a cosplayer myself, I was like, yeah, you tell her. And then she's still like, no, they're just weirdos. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Burn. Well, you, are, you are a weirdo. I'm a weirdo, so. but that doesn't make all of us weirdos. I'm a single case. I'm a single case. I'm my own special kind of weirdo. Cosplayers out there, you're weirdos. Whatever. Get used to it. I'm part of your crew. Suckers. I'm with you. <laughs> He's a hater. Please, please continue to listen. <laughs> please don't hate us. You can no, hate him. Can. It's fine. So what else did you read? Middle West by Scotty Young. It's a new Scotty Young title. Number one came out this week. I freaking dig this book. Yeah. Um, it's got this great kid on a quest type story it's developing that comes out of nowhere. It deals with, you know, dysfunctional families. And I am from, like, Indiana and that kind of area. Um, and I think this is probably more like Tornado Alley, but it just felt very homey for, <laughs> for me. <laughs> I was raised around, like, cornfields and shit. Like, I wasn't raised in, like, rural Indiana. But there was rural parts. Anyone from Indiana knows there's no such thing as, like, non-rural Indiana. It's, like, there's so many hills and crap that, like, you'll be in a city and you take, like, two steps and then there's corn. And, <laughs> um, really, really cool, um, Jorge Corona doing the art. Or George Corona. I'm sorry if it's not Jorge I just want to cover all my bases. Maybe it's Georgie Corona. I don't know. Just in case. Um, there's some interesting names out there. Yeah, you never know. You don't want to offend anybody. But it's really good. It's The art is beautiful. The covers are beautiful. The dialogue is beautiful. The story so far is beautiful. Like, everything's just good. And there's... What I love about it, I loved... It's the same thing I loved about Seven to Eternity when I first got into it. Um is that it doesn't, they put this world out in front of you, and while it feels like, you know, there are elements that you recognize, there's other stuff there, but they're not going to be like, this is what this is. Like, in this one, a lot of the buildings have this, like, pink jug attached to it, like a jug of some sort of pink liquid, pink fluid, and, like, there's a train that looks a little bit high-tech and has that pink fluid on it, and there's, like, blimps connected to the city, so there's, like, all this stuff going on, this world that's built, and, like, the lead has a talking fox friend, you know, oh. and so there's this kind of stuff there, but no one at any point is like, hey, fox friend, I'm glad I can talk to you because blah, or like, man, look at this building, looks like it's running low on explanation of pink fluid, you know, they haven't established that, so they're just going to build this world and take you along with it. And I think when you're doing a story that's a new kind of story or has elements that are different than what real life is. It's good to let those pieces fit into the story instead of navigating the story around those pieces. Yeah. Instead of having a moment where you're like, and again, seven to eternity was great about this. There was very rare moments where they stopped and they were like, let's explain what a Mossack is and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it, you just kind of got it. You kind of picked it up by where the story took you. And it's great. And it's just really, I'm really excited to keep reading this one. It's going to be good. I think this is going to be 
one of those books that people talk about for like a long time. I think this is going to be one of those like saga style books where people are just like constantly getting it and constantly talking about it. And I hope he's got a lot prepared story wise to just like take it to the next level. Damn, so. that's awesome. I love it when you've got that fantastic realism. It just sort of like it's there. And you know it's weird, mm-hmm. but nobody talks about how it's weird, so it just is, and yeah, then you yeah. just accept it, because if no one's talking about it, just let it go. Yeah, it's just, it is what it is. It's, yeah. just, it's part of their world, so why would they take a moment to, like, discuss with each other what's going on? And, you know, people feel differently about this kind of thing, but I gotta say, this book freaking drips movie deal. Like, movie deal out the ass with this book. <laughs> like, it just feels like it's going to be one of those ones that gets grabbed up early. So I, I highly expect it's going to be, like, Infidel. And by the time, like, issue two is rolling around, somebody's already picked it up and been like, gimme. It's really so. interesting that you talk about how, like, they just don't bring up the weird stuff in the world. Because this week I read the new Exorcisters issue. Mm-hmm. And the whole issue was kind of trying to give the backstory to the main character and how what happened to her happened and it's kind of interesting because the whole thing pans out as a conversation between her between the two sisters and the mom their mom and the mom's going on and on about what happened to them and they keep talking about mom we were there we we saw it Mom, it happened to mm-hmm. us. We we know it happened. And so it was both kind of a cheesy way of doing it, because why would she be telling the daughters what happened to them? Because mm-hmm. that's weird. But at the same time, it was kind of funny, because it was almost aware of itself, being like, okay, we, we know this is a really bad way to do this, but we don't have a better way to do this. <laughs> and so... Moms, man. They're always <laughs> coming really out and, like talking to you about your origin (laughs) moms love them some origin stories yeah (laughs) yeah i thought i mean i'm enjoying exorcisters but it hasn't totally picked up its flow for me yet but i think the story's interesting enough Mm. and the art's really kitschy and i like that so i'm kind of holding out yeah i really liked with that one the dan parent cover yeah. Like retro 1980s, like waveform aesthetic cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, that cover was really, that was exceptional. I really, <laughs> I really liked it. I like Dan Parent's work. I thought that one was really cool. That's that's all I know about it. <laughs> I'm holding out cool. for it to kind of pick up and find its footing. It's an interesting concept. Like it's a cool, yeah. you know, kind of doesn't try too hard. I mean, I read the first issue. It's got like that, you know, it knows what it wants to be. And it's not going to try to reinvent the wheel. It's just going to kind of keep doing yeah. that. It doesn't take itself super seriously. Yeah. Um, one more I want to talk about before we move on. And I don't have much to say about it, but I read Web of Venom Carnage Born. And Web of Venom, it's like a series of minis that they've been doing. Um, like they did Web of Venom Venom, which was like the venom suits in vietnam um that's an interesting which played into the story that donny cates is writing right now but carnage born sets up such an awesome story arc and i'm really excited and i'm not usually huge on symbiote stuff like i think they're cool but i think they really just play into like 90s aesthetic and that's why people have kind of attached to them because they're like big teeth big tongue they're gooey cool um we love us some nostalgia though yeah yeah it's it's like if the 90s had come out with a spider-man or batman villain that was just a man made of chocolate sauce people would probably feel the same way yeah um (laughs) that was stupid um (laughs) but so i've never been like i really liked agent venom like the flash thompson one and i think i'm kind of the minority on that um, but I am enjoying the run that Donny Cates is doing right now. But this Carnage Born, the story that it sets up, I just think could be so cool. And I don't want to ruin it for everybody. Really cool. Pick it up if you're a Venom fan, if you're a Carnage fan, if you're a Spider-Man fan or General Marvel fan. Pick it up. It's worth a read. It's just kind of a setup for something that I think they've got going on. Um, Donny Cates is really good at that, too. He's really good at, like, dangling the carrot 
He did it at the end of the Venom from last week. He, like, dangled the carrot. Like, look, could... there was, like, some pictures on a screen that hinted to stories that could be going. You knew what some of them were because they're going on right now. And there were, like, two that you're like, what? What is that? And it's just Donny Case is so, like, he's got an eye for it to just be like, hey, hey, you want this story? You want... Oh, pull it away. He is, <laughs> you know? he is Marvel's money man right now. Yeah, like, yeah. they see him and he's like, I'm going to make things exciting. <laughs> so, Web of Venom, Venom, Carnage Born, pick it up. Um, if you can get your hand on the cover B, the cover B is really cool. Cover A is really cool too, but um, I really like the cover B. Last thing I want to say for Weekly Poll, I don't have a ton to say about it, but I did pick up Archie 700. Um, it's new um, art, new writer. Um, I read almost all of the recent Archie runs that started a few years ago. I think I read all of them except for Jughead, believe it or not. Um, but I've enjoyed everything that I've read, and this one kind of has a new take, a new start. Mm. And honestly, the most exciting thing for me was opening up and not realizing that it was done by Marguerite Sauvage. And oh, cool. It's it's so beautiful, you guys. I, I love it. <laughs> I love her. That stuff, it's so beautiful. Like, it was so exciting to open it, and it was just beauty. That and lady sure excited. make a pretty book. She do make a pretty book. So, anyway, those are the books for the week. Lots to read. And now we're going to pick up with our news. Lots of news this week. Um, <laughs> I didn't have much news. I had news. You're like, it's such a heavy news week. <laughs> and I'm like, there were trailers. There were there were good trailers. Yeah. There were there were a lot of good trailers this and week. And stealing the limelight, I'm going to talk about trailers. <laughs> you thief. <laughs> You'll never catch me, swings away. Dastardly thief. <laughs> so there were three pretty cool trailers that dropped over the week. Um, first one is we got our first look at Batwoman. I know we talked about her last week. I'm so um, excited. Because she was your, like, veteran pick, and we talked about her coming to TV. And she is coming to TV, and they showed... You didn't see much. Um, she did a superhero landing. She did a superhero landing. And it was awesome. Cool. I like... I always get nervous when there's new, like, Bat people. Yeah. Um... Or really, like, really, I get nervous when there's new, like, DC heroes announced. Because the DC costumes, I don't know, it's something about DC minus, like, Superman and Wonder Woman, where their costumes are all such full-body apparatuses. You know, it's like every interview is covered. And I just worry, anytime they announce somebody new coming in, I worry that we're going to have a repeat of, like, you know, Michael Keaton, George Clooney, Batman, where they had to, like, crane their hip, like, from the hip up to look to their right. (laughs) And with the Bat People, it's especially tough because the Bat People, you know, the problem is with those movies is there was a lot of, like, really clunky punching that said, for some reason, these henchmen were like, oh, no, because Batman, you know, Batwoman, Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing, everybody in the Bat family is supposed to be this, like, kung fu master. And... Like, really good at hand-to-hand combat. Because they're all just normal dudes that are able to do what they do. And so if you have a really clunky costume, I feel that it just takes away from the character. But her costume looks great. She looks like uh, Batwoman. And she looks like she can move well in it. And it's fluid. So I'm excited to see some, like, mad Batwoman ass-kickery. This is So. so subsidiary, but it matters she nailed the Kate Kane smirk. Um, I think you mean it batters. Oh my god. You just made a bat pun. Oh yeah. No, yeah. no you can't. I pulled it out of the pun pouch. Put it on back. my utility belt. Put it back. It's next I, to the shark repellent. I want to personally apologize. And the bat credit card. To anyone that just had to hear the bat pun because... If, okay, if anyone... If anyone is offended by puns, this is not the podcast for you. <laughs> this is... We're, going, we're in episode two. I managed to make it through one whole episode. And if we make it to a million episodes, that's the one episode where I don't try to make a terrible, horrid pun. Well, be prepared, because they're all going to be bad. Mm? There's not going to be a good pun. 
They're gonna be bad. Name me a good pun, and I will name you an honest politician. <laughs> uh. Okay, anyway, moving on. Um, okay. Once Upon a Deadpool trailer dropped. Oh, God, it's so funny. And it's super funny. Like, you know, they highlighted the Fred Savage, uh, what is framing story, which is taking a play on Princess Diaries, right, where... Like Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. The Princess Diaries. Anne Hathaway shows up. Um, <laughs> it's a Deadpool movie. She could. Yeah, who knows? You don't but know. But yeah, The Princess Bride, when Fred Savage, as a wee young, a wee little Fred Savage, is <laughs> getting told a story, and that's The Princess Bride, and it looks funny. I don't remember... I didn't write down, and I don't remember how many minutes of framing story they filmed, but I'm really I'm going to I'm going to go see it. Like if you had just told me it was just a PG thirteen, well, back up. So Once Upon a Deadpool is a PG thirteen recut of Deadpool two, which is you know traditionally R, and one dollar of every ticket goes to, and I'm gonna build warning. <laughs> Goes to the Fuck Cancer Foundation, um, which they're changing their name to Fudge Cancer in honor of the whole PG-13 thing. That's adorable. And I just, and apparently the charity thing was the only way that they were able to get Ryan Reynolds to agree to, like, come do these, like, extra things. Um, Because he's all, he's a great dude. I love Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, if you want a guest spot, we're two episodes deep and doing great. Um, call us. Call call me Boo. <laughs> I, I won't call you Boo, or I will. Whatever, whatever works. You tell us what you like. You yeah. You you tell me, Daddy. Um, <laughs> and hi, Mom. Um, <laughs> but it looks really funny. I if you had just told me, like I said, if you had just told me that it was just a recut, I might be less interested. The fact that they went in and did this framing framing story, I'm interested. I also, just knowing the meta and how Deadpool works, <clears throat> I feel like they're not going to just do, like, a shot for shot and dub it over. I feel like there's going to be, in the movie, there has to be, like, references or, like, funny noises or something. Like, there's going to be something to make the PG-13 recut funny. You know I, what I mean? I wouldn't even doubt it if half of it, they just cut out parts that they couldn't, like... Parts that were blatant sexuality or something that they couldn't show, mm-hmm. but kept in a lot of the f bombs and just put like squeaky toy noise or yeah. something over yeah, it. Yeah, I would love if they went as far as to like somebody I saw on Reddit. Somebody said it would be great if they like edited out all the guns with squirt guns <laughs> and made it like everyone was having like a squirt gun fight. If they went that far, that would be great, but. Chances are they didn't, um, but I still think there's going to be some sort of joke or reference in there, okay, like peppered in to talk about how, you know, it's a PG-13 type yeah. of thing. So that hits theaters December 12th. It's going to go until the 24th. It's 12 Days of Deadpool is what they're calling it. So get out and see it. If you haven't seen the trailer, check out the trailer. Uh, there's some funny, funny interactions with Fred Savage in there. Fred Savage even cracks wise, uh, which is cool. It's good money for a good cause. Yeah. Last trailer I want to talk about. I know I'm taking up all the news section. I actually just <laughs> watched this one. Lego Movie 2, the second part, has a trailer. Uh, i super excited about this one. Lego Movie was great. I don't care what anyone says. Even after being forced to watch it on loop when I was on vacation with my family, with my nephew who loved it, it was still great. Still worth it. Still worth it. Uh, it feels like they're going to do a lot to reference like the movie industry in Hollywood in general. So they're playing on the whole apocalyptic, bleak, broody stuff that's really popular right now. There's even, like, Chris Pratt is doing another character in there that's called, like, what is his name? Rex Danger Fist. Danger Vest. Rex Danger Vest. And <laughs> he mentions that he's, like, a cowboy and a raptor trainer and like an archaeologist and a space adventurer you know so it's i appreciate that yeah it's chris pratt poking fun at how he has these two characters he's got like andy from parks and rec which is the emmett character the like 
funny, kind of nice, like, really dopey kind of dude. The Chris Pratt we all love. And then he's got, like, his action hero side, like his Star-Lord and his, uh... What was that? It was a cowboy movie. I don't remember what that was. Oh. What was the... There was the space one, the, like, Passengers? Yeah, yeah, Passengers and his, uh... He did a cowboy movie and Jurassic World, um... So he, you know, he pokes fun at how different those two are. Yeah. And, and it, it looks really good. Check out the trailer. Uh, it just launched, I think, on the 20th? Magnificent Seven. Oh, yeah. I forgot he was in that. He exclaimed <laughs> in the middle of something else he was saying. Um, so, yeah, check them out. Check out the trailers. Really cool trailers hitting uh, this week. That's... Nice. Hop on YouTube. Yeah. Um, so other news from this week. Really weird news. We shared this on Facebook, and it just, it, blo- it, it boggles the mind. Venom is positioned to be the most successful non-MCU Marvel movie ever. So right now, <laughs> because of its sales, both in America and China, it has beaten out all of the X-Men movies, and and that includes the Deadpool movies. And it's currently, like, third underneath Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, but the projections show that it's going to blow through, blow past both of them. And hmm. I think that just goes to show the power that is Tom Hardy. <coughs> like, that man it, can draw in a crowd, okay? I think it makes sense. You know, obviously, the first few X-Men movies were popular and good in their own right, but they came out at a time when superhero movies were really the, like, jaw-dropping spectacle that they are now. Yeah. And then, you know, you have the later ones, the relaunch or whatever. Those have been doing well as well, um, but still hadn't really found their momentum. They were kind of confusing for some people. People, there was arguments over, like, the old cast versus new cast, like, right. which one's better. So you immediately, when you do that, when you reboot, you create a schism for people to be like, this is my favorite, and this one sucks. <laughs> and the people who preferred the, it's, you know, prequels and sequels, Star Wars all over again. Um, which is not a discussion we're going to have right now. And then, you know, the other ones, like, your Fantastic Fours and stuff like that, those all had their own problems. I think what shocks me, and then Deadpool, like, everyone's like, oh, how did Venom do better than Deadpool? But Deadpool's R-rated. There's definitely, even in the comics, like, I think there's more and more hardcore fans of Venom than there are uh, Deadpool in general. Like, Deadpool has a huge following, don't get me wrong. It's so... But Venom just has these, like, sick 90s roots. And it's got, you know, it's got Spider-Man fans who love it. There are separate Venom fans who love it. Carnage fans love it. So I, I think Venom is just a more prolific character in general. And he had a lot, you know, he had a lot to come back from. Like, Deadpool came out, it was Deadpool, it was great. But Venom's already been on screen, and it was a freaking travesty. It was so bad. Eric Foreman <laughs> stepped into a black leotard and embarrassed us all. It was so and... bad, guys. We don't talk about the third one. It, we, you, you can't. And, it's so um... bad. <sighs> 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 need Come my, out of it. Need my pills. Come out of it, babe. Um, <laughs> I think honestly, what it surprises me, I'm surprised that it did better than the original Spider-Man, because even though that one took place at a time when superhero movies, as we know them now, were still kind of new, Spider-Man is such a huge character. Like, I think, I don't know if this is still current, but. You know, at least a few years ago, he was officially, like, statistically the most recognizable superhero worldwide. Yeah. Maybe it's something to say about how the movie market has attached itself to China, which is a big deal. And I don't I don't know how new that is or how new the push is. And, I mean, Tom Hardy is a huge actor. Like, he's got a, got a following. But really, it's not like, you know, there were any, like, major superstar actors in there. Like, Tom Hardy's great. But, you know, he's not your, like, your Chris Pratt's and your Hugh Jackman's and your Tom Cruise's and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Tom Hardy's bigger than I think he is. But I think my surprise I love him. It. Don't get me wrong. Like, just 
don't get me wrong i love tom hardy um he made that movie for me like, oh yeah I, i'm super impressed i think if you didn't know he did the voice of venom I, I yeah, he did cool. both. Yeah, he did both voices. He did both. I've had people ask me, like, who did, who did they get to do the voice of Tom freaking Hardy, son? I think that's so. why he picked the role, was so he mm. could do both. But I think what surprised me about it doing better, and I know that you mentioned that Deadpool is rated R, but I think what surprised me about being more than Deadpool was that they both have this, like, significant cult following, mm-hmm. but Deadpool <clears throat> got awesome reviews and has like a huge score on Rotten Tomatoes. Everybody loved the Deadpool movie and it had great reviews by critics and Venom has been just like lukewarm, systemically panned. Reviewers hated it. It's got like a 29 on Rotten Tomatoes. Like in theory, looking at it, it should not be that popular of a movie, but it has gone everywhere. And don't get me wrong. I actually really enjoyed the Venom movie. But when you look at, like, reviews and stuff and how important reviews are to people now and how influenced people are by online reviews, that's kind of surprising that still that many people have gone out and paid money for this movie. Maybe it was all the people that went out to see A Star is Born. They had, like, somebody in their group that was like, no, I'm not into that kind of movie. So they were like, <laughs> just go see this one. And they were like, Venom, wonder what that's about. And then they, like, rolled in. I'm going to say, any person who is not the type of person to go see A Star is Born, you don't have a heart, and you need to find one, because that movie was magic. I just need to stop being so jealous of Bradley Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) I live my day-to-day life in such rage over how perfect Bradley Cooper is. (laughs) making it real hard to be a dude. (laughs) He's a lot to live up to. I'm like, I gotta oh, say. cool. You have a beautiful, twangy rock and roll voice, and you can shred up a guitar. Good. You needed that. You were so talentless before that. <laughs> nice beard. <laughs> oh, Jiminy Christmas. So what about Dead Rabbit? Did you hear about that? Oh, yeah. There was a bunch of, like, naming yeah, controversy, huge. right? Yeah, it was huge. So Dead Rabbit image book came out. Um, I picked up the first one. I, I admittedly passed on the second one. I was going to get it in trade. I'm one of those guys. Um, book about, it's got like a crime feel to it. It's about like a hitman vigilante type character named Dead Rabbit. It got sued. Well, Image got sued. Yeah. Um, for copyright. copyright. Because there's a bar in New York that trademarked the Dead Rabbit name. Their Dead Rabbit bar. They make graphic novels and i guess use comics as like menus and promotional stuff and i think the trademark the trademark was just exclusive to new york i don't think it was like a worldwide thing but if you know anything about new york and comics there's tons of comic book stores up there big ones big comic book stores i think it was actually forbidden planet that was like the target of the controversy but Mm. they sent a cease and desist to image after the first issue came out and were like don't sell it in new york anymore or don't sell it anymore again i'm fuzzy on the details and then number two and image was pushing to get like a little bit more time and then the number two issue came out and so dead rabbit bar was like okay suing you for like two million dollars it's like two million dollar lawsuit wow and really all image had to do was push the book back i mean i i don't know when this all went down in time frame and there's definitely like it's like publication deadlines and times when you like really can't stop it from coming out. But I feel like that's really down to the wire. I feel like they had time to be like, okay, let's push. I mean, hell, like Batman showed his Wong and then <laughs> number two of Batman Damned was pushed into like 2040. So, <laughs> you know. Well, they have to put censor bars, Chris. It's going to be a lot of yeah. reprinting. A lot of black ink. <laughs> The power of the PP, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, and this isn't the first time that a book has been pulled mm-hmm. for name controversy because oh, yeah. a book that I read that I loved that I it makes me sad was um, Hi Fi Fight Club, mm-hmm. which was essentially about a group of girls who run a, a record store and also serve as like a little vigilante team of like butt kickery chicks. 
And it was adorable and a great read. And then halfway through, like, after the second issue, suddenly it was no longer Hi-Fi Fight Club. It was Heavy Vinyl, which the book was the same, but I kind of feel like it tanked sales because people didn't know what they were looking for and didn't know it was the same thing and there wasn't, you know, a lot of publicity about it. And so then it ended up being, like, a four-part mini with no real future ambitions put to it and mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of got shut down because of that and it it's frustrating to me because I don't know why you wouldn't know these are going to be issues ahead of time like I work in marketing before we're allowed to use anything we have to go through like 8,000 websites trying to hunt down is there a trademark on this is it specific to a location do you have to do this do you have to do that there's no way that these huge comic book companies that are publishing these books, and these aren't, like, back-alley comic books. This is, like, image. How they don't have someone on staff that's job is to sit around on Google and find out where the copyright is, and if they're going to get in trouble. Like, Yeah, I think um, when I looked into it more, it seemed like, and obviously I'm not, like, image's law team, so I don't know what the time frame was. But it seemed like they had enough time to really, like, put a hold on it and not cancel it outright. Because I think that's going to hurt the book overall as it goes forward. Oh, absolutely. Whereas if they just pushed it, they could have pushed it even, like, months. Put out press releases about it and said, hey, we're renaming it. There's going to be no mention of Dead Rabbit in the book at all. We're going to reprint the number one with the new title and the changes to dialogue. And then we'll start back up at the number two. But now people have the one and two, and people who aren't in the know are like, where's the number three? They totally shot themselves in the foot because an easy, obvious answer would have been, you know, put out one, pause it, do a whole press junket, and then drop the number one relabeled for free comic book day. And yeah, then I you mean, got the ones out, and then you've got number that's two. That's waiting judge. a good bit, and you can't really, like, launch a title on free comic book day because... 90% of people who actually want the free comics don't get the free comics. The people who get yeah. the free comics are the, like, and I'm gonna just, it's just how it is. Deal with it. The people who get most of the free comics are people that have never read a comic book in their entire life, but they know about free comic book day. They come to shops and they go to multiple shops all over their state, as many as they can hit in a day, and they grab up as many books as the shop allows them to, and then they flip them on eBay for at least a buck because their time's not worth anything to them, so they think they're making money, and really they're just wasting their time. They do it with Free Comic Book Day, they do it with Record Store Day, they do it, like, there are people that don't give a shit about these things, these cultures, these hobbies, and they just take advantage of those kind of days. And that's the truth of it. So you can't launch a series on Free Comic Book Day. Well, I was thinking it was less launching and more, you know... A soft relaunch you wouldn't put number two out as a free comic book but if you already have one out on the market and then you put one out with a different title so that you know it just kind of gives you a way to be like hey so we know you already have number one here's Mm -hmm. the new name of the number one and you don't have to pay for it if you want the real name you know what i'm saying or even do you know they do these like image firsts that are like dollar books yeah something like that do an image first of like deceased chipmunk (laughs) <laughs> number one and go from there you know but side note dead rabbits is or dead rabbit is a really cool name for a bar in new york i gave credit to the person who came up with it it's got the whole gangs in new york thing going for it yeah so, that's pretty neat um that's that's really cool i want to go there <laughs> <laughs> they seem like a cool bar so i you know props to them for being focused on their trademark yeah you know sorry image but I'm actually in their court on this one. They gave you warning. If it was like a sudden, like, ha-ha, we're suing you, you know, popped out of Robert Kirkman's closet and, like, slapped him with a injunction <laughs> or something, then I'd be like, okay, this is weird. But they gave him notice. Well, you know, and let's, they gave I, time. I know how easy it is to find whether someone's got a trademark on something, and you Google it. Like, yeah. there are sites that will tell you, hey, there's a trademark on this. It's not that hard. They should have someone doing that before they launch a title. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. But anyway, I think that's enough for news. So this week, since, you know, tomorrow for us is Thanksgiving and yesterday for you was Thanksgiving, 
we thought it would be fun to talk about our favorite comic book families. Because what is Thanksgiving if it's not a time to spend time with families, whether it's by blood or by friendship? Or by force. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you do on your personal time, but sure, you know, it could be. Whatever you're, you're into. You're my family now. <laughs> Would you like some gravy? That's kind of how I feel about our cats sometimes. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Chris, who... Yeah. Who is your favorite comic book family? What um, lineage are you fond of? I'm going to pick the family in Royal City. So Royal City is a Jeff Lemire title. And it by no means is a perfect family. <laughs> um, they're just they functional. They have their problems. And I don't know. I, I think I really like family stories um, and this isn't a reflection on my family. My family's great. Like, we actually don't... There's drama. I mean, every family has drama, but we're not, like, a dysfunctional family, admittedly. But I think a good, like, family, like, heartfelt family story is a family where their flaws are not subtle. Their flaws are very in-your-face. But the point is that they're actively trying to keep the family together. So I'm reminded of, you know, Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix show. Yeah, oh, that um, was so good. The family in that is very similar to the family in Royal City in that they're... And I just bring that up as reference. I'm not going to talk about Haunting of Hill House. I'm going to talk about Royal City. Um, <laughs> the family itself has its problems. They have their distance. They have alienated members. You know, there's drug abuse problems. There's arrogance problems. There's... You know, they have their issues, but the one thing that kind of ties them together is that deep down at some point, they all want the family to be together. They want to make the family whole again. Royal City itself takes place, it starts with uh, the eldest brother um, of the Pike family, I believe they're the Pike family, coming back to Royal City, which is this kind of derelict town. It's focused around this industry, but the industry is getting pulled out and... You know, it's the overall economy is sinking. Um, and he comes back to town and starts seeing the ghost of his deceased brother, who died when they were all still kind of young, like he's been dead for a while. As time goes by, you see that the other members all are seeing him as well in different forms, in the form that they see as his perfect form, all the way to the point that um, one of the brothers actually sees him older than he was ever, ever able to get because he died when he was a teenager, but the brother sees him as an adult. So that's his perfect form was something that he was never able to achieve. It's got a lot of heart. I honestly didn't read through the whole thing, so there's some that I'm behind on. Um, but it's still, in each and every family member, even as they fight, even as they bicker, even as they have problems come up, you get this feeling that they really just want things to be the way they were. They want things to be better. They want to bridge the gaps and heal the wounds. And they're all holding on to that hope through the spirit of their brother, through you know his essence that's attached to them yeah. in some degree. And I think that's just a great story. And I really need to go back and finish it. Um, if you haven't read it, it's in trade now. Pick it up. Um, it's very, very good, very beautifully done. Jeff Lemire draws it in, or paints it, I guess. He does, like, watercolor type stuff in it's his own stuff. unique way. Um, it's cool. So that would be my family pick. Nice. I So I was actually going to talk about my feelings about Odin and Thor <laughs> and his kin, but... You talking about Royal City actually reminded me of a different family that I similarly am impressed with. Is um, So, from the book Postal, it's a Matt Hawkins book, it's a top cow. Um, the whole story revolves around this couple, Isaac and Laura, and they're criminals, and they establish this town called Eden, which is basically going to be like an oasis for criminals... But there are laws and there are rules and you follow them. And some drama happens and Isaac kind of gets excommunicated from the town. And so Laura runs the town 
and she has a son, Mark, who's the main character, and Mark is, um, has Asperger's, and it kind of shows it go the the story arc goes through Isaac trying to come back and take back his town and take back the loyalty of his son. One of the things I love about the book is obviously it's, you know, they are, nobody in this book is a good person. Like, even Mark, who is our protagonist, is not inherently a good person. He, it's interesting having been told from the perspective of Mark because his Asperger's causes him to really struggle with empathy mm-hmm. and, and communication skills. And so you constantly watch this dynamic of Laura, who has to be tough, who has to be strong, who has to be a leader, and is leading Eden, which is essentially a family made of its own accord, and taking in these people to become a part of this family while actually still managing the relationship with her son, who she can't communicate to properly. Mm. And... He struggles understanding her and the things she does and why she does the things she does and how she engages with her with his father. Meanwhile, she's trying to understand how to explain to him without completely ruining the fact that he's still kind of a good person. Because if you look at the town, he's the only one that's in this town that isn't inherently a criminal. Mm-hmm. He was born into it. And so it, it's a fascinating dynamic playing between trying to maintain the relationships that you're born with, meanwhile building the relationships that you want. Yeah. Kind of making this family that you want because they bring in all these other, you know, people that they really relate to and they appreciate. And, like, Laura ends up with the sheriff in, like, a relationship and Mm -hmm. Mark ends up in a relationship with um, a waitress in the town. And so they make this own kind of nuclear little family but it's so bizarre and, you know, steeped in secrets and lies. And there's actually a big, big secrety plot twist at the very end. And actually, and there's been some uh, follow-up pieces by Matt Hawkins. Um, one that was postal Laura, one that was postal Mark. And some details were revealed that kind of explain why Laura is kind of as messed up as she is it digs it even farther into the family situation and, and why their relationship is so complicated. It's it's a great read. I mean, Postal is one of those books that I picked up when I very first started reading comic books, and it's probably the biggest reason why I read indie books because, you know, as a kid, I was raised on Marvel. My family was mostly a Marvel family. My dad wasn't really a big DC fan. I've kind of grown into all of them now as an adult, but when I started reading comics... As an adult, you know, I was more leaning toward Marvel because it's what I knew. But then I picked up Postal just because I thought the back looked interesting. I, I read the synopsis and I was like, oh, this sounds this sounds different. And it, it hooked me. Mm. And now I am an indie reader because of that. And it actually, didn't it get picked up for TV or something, I think? It's been one of those ones that's kind of been in development hell for a while. Yeah. Um, it's got picked up, I think... TV rights got picked up, but I don't know if it's attached to any. I don't know. I don't know if it's attached to anything. I hope somebody or... does something with it, because I'll tell yeah, you yeah. what, it is one of the most engaging, interesting stories, and it's so nice to have a story told from the perspective of someone that you wouldn't normally get the perspective of. Yeah. yeah. Like, having someone with Asperger's who, you know, tells the story, and literally, like, within the first page, he's like, hey, my name's Mark, I have Asperger's, I don't often know what's going on. And it's fascinating, yeah, like, yeah. to establish that from the very get-go. It's so good. So yeah. definitely pick up Postal. Um, but it's funny because you told me, so in prep for this episode, you told me, like, we're going to talk about our favorite families. And I kept finding that I was focusing on my favorite families to read about and not really, like, good families. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, the first one I latched onto was a book called Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. And that is not a good family at all. No. Like it's, oh, my God. That's a great book, though. It's a great book. Um, and, um, and it's been a while since I've read the book. But it was fairly dysfunctional. And the book itself is more about, you know, her teenage years and discovering her sexuality and homosexuality and stuff like that. And um, 
Great book. Pick it up. So good. Home. Really good. It has been a long time. I was like, time. I, you know, uh, I can't talk about that because it, it's pretty dysfunctional. It's pretty freaking dysfunctional. But um, I was thinking about other books, and I wanted to just give – I'm not going to dive too deep into it because we're running out of time. But um, the Satrapi family from Persepolis. Um, oh, yeah. I really like the elements of family in this book. Um, it's an older one. Uh, crap, when was that? published 2000 year 2000 2004 2003 something like that early 2000s great book another great one but it's about you know a family you know it focuses on a 10 year old girl during the islamic revolution in iran and uh it it's really good and her family plays a big role and her mom and dad are badasses they like protest and you know, get involved in their local government, and they eventually, like, become worried about her because as she gets older and sees the oppression, she gets really rebellious, and they're worried that the really harsh government is going to come down on her. So they send her away to go to school in Austria, go to a French school in Austria. <clears throat> but they play a huge role in the story, um, her mom, dad, her uncle, or her grandmother. And it's just a really good book depicting keeping ties of family during really tragic, really oppressive, really stressful situations, and how much family means during those. Um, How much we can learn from each other and feed off of each other as a family in those kind of really desperate situations. And so I wanted to bring that up. The Satrapi family from uh, Persepolis probably be my other pick for best comic family. I dig it. I love Thanksgiving. I think it's a great holiday because... I am gonna eat so much. I am too, but I will be. I already have. I had my. We had our Thanksgiving with my parents over the weekend. So we already have leftovers, and we're going to have more leftovers. I already ate all my leftovers. I'm going to eat more. I'm going to eat Thanksgiving leftovers for lunch on Thursday, and then have a fresh Thanksgiving meal for dinner on Thursday. I'm going to wake up on Friday feeling like crap, but it's going to be worth it. I eat all of my leftovers in like two days. I I have no self-control. I can't keep it together. Leftovers barely make it the night because mm-hmm. I put them in Tupperware and then I just keep going back to the fridge because I can't stop because it's there and I want it and I'm going to eat it. It's it's less like leftovers and more like a like a grazing trough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put them in a trough, and I'll just pick at this turkey loaf for a while. They're not leftovers. They're not yets. They're not yets. <laughs> that doesn't mean they're not going to happen like, in like an hour turkey when I'm and, hungry again. Turkey and gravy flavored now and later. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. This was super fun. If you want more Cover B, follow us on Facebook or Ooh, Twitter. Facebook. At Cover B Podcast. Social media call-outs. Woo! Woo! Uh, you can also follow me and Chris on Instagram. We're yeah. both on there. I post um, cat pictures. It's true. He posts cat pictures. I post cosplay. It's a whole thing. It'll be fun. Find us. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And stay tuned next week for our next episode of Cover B. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Bye, guys.